Welcome to Discussions with the NUI Galway Law Review. Tune in for episodes that will cover a wide range of highly requested topics and discussions with various experts in their field. You won't want to miss it. You name it, we talk about it. And now, enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. On previous episodes, we've explored how transferable legal skills actually are. But what we haven't really discussed is, I suppose, the importance of diversifying your skill set. I mean, law is connected with absolutely everything we touch. And I think that is why it's important that legal minds have a solid understanding of a multitude of areas, including like business and finance, the sciences, broadcast and media, medicine, and I'm sure there's many, many more. Obviously, you don't need to know all of these, but I think it, it's, it could probably be considered prudent to probably specialize. Bearing all this in mind, we're going to venture into the world of legal tech with today's topic, innovation and technology. I'm delighted to introduce our guest. First of all, returning guest, Dr. Ronan Kennedy of NUI Galway. Welcome back. And we are also joined by Mr. Joe O'Sullivan, the Director of Client Technology from ANL Goodbody. Welcome, Joe. How are you today? I'm good, Matthew. Good to talk to you. Thanks for inviting so, me. No, you're very, very welcome. So I think it's exciting and like what I try to do with most of our episodes. I think we have two very different perspectives here. Uh, Ronan, you're coming obviously from the academic side of it. And Joe, you're very much the in-practice side of the sector. I mean, working with, like, I suppose, one of the top firms in the country. So I guess before we kind of really get into it, basically, I suppose, what's really involved in this sector? In terms of the technology piece, um, I suppose for me, really, within ANL Goodbody, what we're hoping to do is really inject um, how we deliver technology as part of the services we deliver to our clients today. So what does that mean in reality? Well, I suppose it, it looks at how we deliver all our services, looks how we engage with our clients, and then finds ways to make that better, more effective, and more efficient, not only for ourselves, but for our client. And that that's really quite practical at the end of the day. It's looking at how we how we break down our processes, how we break down our services, and looking at making that more effective and more efficient. And then if there's any gaps that can be filled through technology, then we bring those to bear. And Ronan, Adam, how does that differ then in the academic world? Well, from the academic perspective, I suppose what I'm most interested in is trying to, on the one hand, give the students the skills that they need to navigate that more technological workspace, but more importantly, to give students the innovation mindset that I think some, not all students, will need in order to, to succeed in their careers. You talked about the variety of things that the law touches, and I think we don't really pay enough attention to that in the undergraduate legal curriculum, particularly. Um, there may be solid reasons for that. There's an awful lot that needs to be covered in order for students to be able to go on to the professional bodies and become properly qualified. So there's not a lot of space in the curriculum. But we tend to focus very much on teaching traditional legal subjects in a traditional way. And my perspective is that essentially, even if a law graduate goes on to a a career in something that doesn't seem sort of immediately commercial, like human rights law or something like that, or a career in a a government department or uh, an NGO or something like that, all lawyers are business people uh, on some level, you know, and that one has to pay the bills and keep the lights on. And... I think we don't spend enough time teaching law students about that side of things, about the business of lawyering, about the need, I think, increasingly for creativity, the need for innovation. The technology is an important part of that because I think a lot of the innovation that you're seeing in in legal practice and in the legal services market now is being driven by technology. But I think it's more important um, that 
new legal graduates and people who've been out there for a while have just had the capacity to look at things and go, well, maybe we can do this a little bit differently. Yeah, I, I would 100% agree with that. And it is that lens of asking yourself a little bit why we're doing it this way and looking at potential ways to improve upon it. And I would agree as well with your points, uh, Ronan, that lawyers of today and tomorrow need to have that kind of combination and that hybrid skill. Not only be very proficient and, and know the law inside out, but as you say, they're business people, they run a business. You have to bring every element of your experience set to bear to, to help you to do that. And technology is just one more piece of that, like like finances. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting because I suppose um, we're talking about innovation and technology today and kind of from the outside, and obviously I'm an underground myself, so I'm not going to pretend I'm overly read on the topic. But from kind of my perspective, it seems like the law is very, very slow to kind of catch up with, I suppose, the modern world. I think it does seem like a lot of the aspects are a little bit outdated. So kind of kind of with that in mind, like, I mean, has the increased use of technology in the legal sector impacting the way the services are being delivered? I think from my perspective, it is. And I would agree, I suppose, one of the reasons um, I kind of came to this role first day was I think I saw it as an opportunity within the legal sector to kind of affect change, because it's one of the only professions, I suppose, that hasn't really been digitally, digitally disrupted that much in comparing, for example, to financial or banking institutions the legal sector is a little bit behind. So it's it's on the cusp of that change. And, and I think today you're beginning to see the kind of the nucleus of that change happening. And especially over the last couple of years, it's really taken force. And it is really kind of looking at how we engage with our clients a lot more. And our clients are obviously coming to us to say, look, we're going through a lot of journeys ourselves. We're becoming more digital. We expect all of our partners and our lawyers to be able to do the same. So they come to us and want us to be a little more digital and they're driving change to our legal services as well. So it's it's coming from the industry inside out, but it's also coming from the outside in. And I think from my point of view, what I'm seeing in the kind of legal services today is that it's now becoming part of how you offer services. Historically, it might've been a back office capability that people weren't fully aware of, but now people are asking upfront, well, how do you deliver your services? What value add do you give to those? And how digital and how easy will it be to integrate with our company and office ecosystems? Yeah, I think that one of the ironies here is that legal services industry in the early days of computerization was a a relatively early adopter of some forms of technology. So if you go back through the history, you'll see that online databases, uh, online research databases, things like um, Westlaw and and LexisNexis, which I, I think a lot of people will be familiar with now, they were developed for the legal services market and were quite successful. There's a lot of uptake with them. Word processing was also something that a lot of legal firms adopted relatively early because they could see the, the benefit to it. Lawyers, you know, work with words. That's, that's our sort of raw material and our bread and butter. But I think maybe because there was that early adoption of some of those early forms of technology, then that's sort of where it stayed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of the ways in which technology was adopted, I think, was fundamentally about solving problems that lawyers had. We need access to research material if we're, you know, case law and legislation and so on. So that was a need that we had. And it obviously was beneficial to the legal practice that documents could be typed up more quickly, that they could be more easily edited, that they didn't need to be retyped if they were, if changes were made and so on. So that's where word processing came in. So that, that adoption of technology was delivered, it was, was driven by, by making the life of a lawyer easier and maybe reducing their costs. It wasn't so much focused on making the life of the clients easier or mm. reducing their costs. 
so I, th I think we sort of stagnated there. And one of the things that I think is, is true about the law as, as a market and as a profession and as, as a customer experience, I suppose, if we can use that term, it's not language that I think a lot of lawyers use when they talk about the legal services market, yeah. um, is that it's not one that's really customer friendly. Not all lawyers do this, but some lawyers will still sort of wrap themselves up in the mystique of the law and you get a letter written by a lawyer and it's not always terribly clear. I mean, I've sometimes had to deal with lawyers in, in my personal life and I get correspondence from them and I'm going, I can kind of understand what this is. But if I wasn't somebody who was who had some sort of legal training, I think I'd actually find it very difficult. Hmm. Uh, and when I assist family members and friends who don't have legal training or dealing with legal things, I think, you know, I, I can see how they're they're intimidated by the experience. They're, they don't understand the language that's in the letters they get. Uh, they're very frightened of anything that involves litigation. There's a whole aura that surrounds the law, I think. And because of that, and because I think there's a, there's a huge demand for legal services that we're either not able to meet or we're not willing to lower our prices enough to, to meet, that lawyers can continue to, or could until relatively recently, continue to operate in that way, where basically they, a lot of lawyers can charge more or less what they think the market will will bear. Uh, they don't have to worry too much about someone else coming in and uh, and taking over their market because, um, by and large, their clients tend to uh, either be, not be repeat business. You know, you if if you're if you're a, a general practice, a lot of your your customers will come to you maybe once or once every five or ten years. Or if they are repeat business, they tend to want to build a relationship, so they'll keep going back to the same firm. So there isn't the same sort of competitive drivers that I think you see in other professional services markets. And I think all of those are things that have meant that lawyers adopted technology early and then said, well, that's good enough for us. But yeah. as Joe said, I think there have been changes in terms of the way in which the outside world has, has adopted digital technology. Um, and I think a move towards uh, liberalizing uh, some of the professional services markets. Law, not so much, and in Ireland particularly, not so much yet. But there are external forces that are making that market open up a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, as you say, it's not so much in Ireland yet, but we are seeing, for example, in the UK, a more mass market legal services offering emerge. So a lot of the big four firms in the UK, a lot of the accountancy firms now offer complementary legal services also. So that commoditization of the law is is not there by any stretch of the imagination, but it's beginning to emerge. And I suppose if if you look at other industries, that analogy holds true. If you look at the banking and financial industries today, they're being disrupted heavily by you know small startups that have very point offerings that offer very bespoke services. But that's a slippery slope because soon you have lots of those capabilities and soon you have a full ecosystem of banking services that you can offer to your clients. I think the law is beginning to go on that route, um, but not there yet. And I suppose the challenge will be to try and understand what that path is, understand what best technology will get us there, and apply that to general practice or, or firm practice today. Mm -hmm. And coming back to what I was talking about at the outset, one of the, the things that I'm focused on from my perspective as an educator and as a researcher as well, is that I think that there are a variety of different pathways, possible future pathways that this intermediation or this commoditization or digitization of the law or whatever perspective you want to, to take on it, uh, could uh, different routes that it could go down, different paths it could take. And I think it's very important for students of today, the graduates of tomorrow, to understand that they themselves can have a role in determining what those paths are, because fundamentally it, it, these changes will be driven, I suppose, by, by supply and demand, supply in the sense of 
whether or not there are graduates emerging from third level institutions, either in law or in other disciplines, who have mm. the capacity to look at the legal services market and go, well, we could do this differently. Why are we doing it this way? And to start to develop new products and services, new business models that I would hope offer um, the, the customer, whether that customer is you know, a major multinational or a uh, and uh, you know an ordinary uh, individual on on the street who who needs a, who has a legal problem they need to, to serve to offer them a different way maybe to access services uh, a cheaper model um, uh, a way that that's a more pleasant experience a way that is more accessible to those people and I think that there's a lot of freedom right now you know a lot of things are opening up yeah I, I think there there are a lot of opportunities for people who are now going through their studies who are qualifying who are in their early stages of their professional career to grasp opportunities that are there and to really help to shape the future of the legal services market. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, that's a, that's a really important point, I suppose, for, for your listeners to understand is that try and, I suppose, look at what you're doing today with, with a very broad lens. Look at your core competency, but also bring other skills to bear. And I suppose, especially nearly every industry is going through some form of digitization today. So more knowledge of this capability and this space will, will do you no harm. And as Ronan says, there, there are huge opportunities here for kind of hybrid roles. And that's one of the things that I'm seeing today as well, more than ever before, is that somebody who is qualified as a lawyer, but now is almost fully emerged into a digital role and bringing to bear both of those skills is a very powerful force, no matter what industry you're in. So if you're in the pharmaceutical industry and you've got a background in technology, you are in a very distinct sweet spot today. Similarly in law, if you've got a good background in law or if even your background is in a, in a different different uh, area and you apply the skills of law there, you're in a kind of a very sweet spot today to be able to help transform that industry. So do come at this with a very open mind and an open perspective. And I suppose don't think that it's just monotone. There has to be a lot of color in your career in terms of looking at the different ways that it can flex and change over the course of a lifetime. Ronan, you were just talking there about, I suppose, you know, um, firms, and I suppose, you know, as word processing came out, and it just kind of reminded me that, you know, when I was doing the understanding the law module, I suppose the legal technology assessment was part of that. Mm -hmm. I suppose it kind of got me thinking in the sense that, you know, the ability to use Word and use kind of these basic softwares in terms of because of the importance of, you know, writing and drafting. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think there maybe should be actually more time given to that in a first year, you know, module to get a firm understanding of actually these functions and how to be familiar with this? Because it seems quite substantial to your career to have this ability even entering your career in the beginning. I think so, yes. And that's so that the, that particular tool, the, the Procertas Legal Technology Assessment, is something that I've done quite a lot of work on making sure it's part of the first and second year curriculum in the law school and in UI Galway. And I thought that was important because we used to teach all of these types of tools in, in the 90s. Students were basically, depending on the program they were in, were, were required to complete a set of, uh, of courses and complete exercises uh, to make sure that they understood how to use a word processor and a spreadsheet and so on. And somewhere in the early 2000s, because of resource constraints and because of the time that these things take up, we moved away from that. And the assumption that a lot of my colleagues made was that students coming out of, uh, coming into the university, coming out of the second level system, were what are sometimes called digital natives, said sometimes that technology is everything that was invented after you were born. And the assumption, which is not, I think, at all correct, was that 
students who grown up with these technology who would have had uh, computers and so on in their in their homes and would conceivably have used them in secondary school would have already mastered how to use these tools but what i was seeing and those of my other colleagues who were paying attention was that actually students had because students had no formal training in these kinds of tools they really had very little idea how to use them and how to use them well more to the point i could see that also some of my colleagues who were making these decisions didn't also know how to use these tools well either they were able to use a word processor for some base, very basic more advanced capabilities like generating tables of contents and so on was something that they'd never been exposed to. So they just didn't understand that they existed within the tool. So that's why I, I thought that was important and did some work to find a suitable tool and to make sure it was put back into the introductory curriculum. And possibly there's scope to do more. One does come up against then the, the, the issue that I've, I mentioned already, which is that undergraduate law curriculum is already pretty packed three or four years, really they're all four-year degrees now, four years does seem like a long time. But when you have to tick a lot of different boxes in terms of the subjects that need to be taken for entry into the professional bodies and then allow students to take some optional modules, particularly languages, which are something else that need a lot of time, there isn't a lot of, of, of scope to fit this in. I do think that coming back to something Joe said a, a while ago about Hybrid careers, we maybe in the future are going to need to look at more hybrid degrees. Um, Galway does have the law and business degree, and those kinds of degrees have become increasingly common uh, across the country. Mm. And I think that goes some way towards addressing the issue I talked about at the beginning, which is that from an academic perspective, um, and I, I'm thinking also from a professional formation perspective in terms of what's covered in uh, Blackhall Place and in the King's Inns, Joe probably know better than me, uh, we don't talk very much about the business of lawyering, but even those, the, the way in which that hybridization of, of law and business is done in Galway and elsewhere, I think it doesn't really, we don't bring to life that intersection. You know, we teach business and we teach law and we don't actually have courses that cross the two over. And that, to a certain extent, is what I've been trying to do with the the new law and innovation undergraduate module that, I'm, that, that I piloted in, in, in UI Galway last year. And it's something that I, I think needs more effort. So the long way to answer your question, yes, I think there needs to be more focus on those sort of technological skills, but I still think what I said at the outset is, is more important. You know, the, the technology is, is an important element of this, and it possibly is a driver of some of the change, but it's not the only driver of the change. And if all you do is teach uh, students, if all I do is to teach students technical skills, then I think there's an important piece of the puzzle that they don't have. You know, one can always sit down and learn how to use a word processor at some stage later. Th those sorts of skills are, th that's more training, I think, than education. Yeah. Um, and it's something that people do need to be trained in and they need it in order to be able to do their university studies well and, and certainly for their professional careers afterward. But I'm more interested in, in educating them and, and I'm more interested in giving them that higher level perspective and the higher level skills, again, for the, so that they can stand back and go, well, why is this done this way? I had a very interesting conversation with a journalist a while ago who ended up in a lot of litigation for one reason or another. And in his conversations with his legal team, would continue to ask them, well, why do you do it that way? Why, why is this the way in which papers are filed? Why is this the way in which they're prepared? Why is... And in many cases, there they weren't uh, good answers to those questions. Yeah. Like, well, that's the way we've done it for, for hundreds of years. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't yeah. know, I, Joe, that's, again, you'd have a yeah, better yeah. on this from practice, but maybe what's your experience of it? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there for me. I mean, I came into this industry. My background is not in law. My background is in technology. 
and I've got a, a kind of a, a very open mindset in terms of how we were going to change things. And I suppose that there was three things I asked, and that was why, why, and why. And like <laughs> you, I suppose when I asked three whys, by the time I got to the third answer, it was actually falling apart as a reason for doing things a certain way. And, and to this day, that's the three things that I ask. Why are you doing it this way? Why have you done it that way? Why are you continuing to do it this way? And they invariably peel the onion back. And then you begin to see that it's more, well, someone has told me to do it this way. This is the way it's always been. And therefore, we need to keep going with doing it that way. And I think that's a key change to keep in mind. If you can answer those questions and find new ways to come up with the answers or different ways to arrive at the same solution, I think you're on the right path. But just going back to a previous point you were mentioning, Ronan, which I think is a really important piece as well. You know, the, the, the perception that undergrads and, and, and postgrads will have digital native capabilities is an interesting one for me because we wouldn't necessarily see that always being the case. I mean, people will be will have the height of tech on their phone, but when it comes to working in the industry, they'll be still basically back on paper. And it's that paradigm shift that hasn't really yet landed in the legal industry. And I think that's that's changing. And I, and I appreciate that in a curriculum uh, as busy as it is, it's very hard to jam other things in. But what we're, what we have done to try and address that is that actually we created a, a, what we call a client technology trainee seat. So we now have a dedicated seat within my team and, and, the, and the broader team to basically bring trainees in bring them up the curve on the technology offerings we have in the business and let them see that and experience that firsthand so that they can augment their legal training with technology training as well. So a little like a dedicated module, there's a dedicated seat now for people to be able to come in and get that experience. And that's really important because that gives them that hybrid career capability. You know, they will then bring those skills that are practice area and apply it along with law in terms of how they deliver services. So, you know, there's there's two ways to come at this. I think from your side, Ronan, from the education point, it's showing the art of the possible. And then from the, from the industry point of view, it's it's building upon that to deepen those skills so that they're applied in practice. Well, I think it's actually a very good point because you were talking about kind of, you know, the, the native IT people coming in now. And I just, like, I always considered myself to be quite familiar with computers until I actually did that LTA course and realized that I actually don't know anything about Word. <laughs> so I think, you know, I was. I remember sitting down and getting ready to start and going, oh, do I need to do the tutorials? I know it worked fairly well. And then I quickly learned, I think, after question one, that yes, I definitely do need to do the tutorials. And I think it was something that kind of shocked me in the sense that like, this is going to be a major part of my career. I mean, if I went into a traineeship or if I went into an internship and I got asked to draft a document or review a document, and I didn't know the basic function of how Word would work, I would say that would be a pretty big hole in my education. And maybe education is the wrong word in that sense. The fact that it probably should, there probably should be an onus on your own responsibility to actually learn this or going to maybe the stage higher that it should be an entry requirement or something. I mean, I suppose in secondary school, there's, there's so many of these courses now that you can do throughout your actual learning that could reasonably become an entrance requirement. But it's such a basic thing in my mind that, that I suppose I took for granted and thought I knew about until I actually really needed it. And then you realize your knowledge is very much lacking. Yeah, yeah. I think you can never underestimate the kind of the basic toolkit that you need to come in. And I suppose being familiar with things like Word, I think is almost kind of a, a prerequisite, to be honest. But I, I, would go, I would stretch that a little bit further and I would maybe show a little bit as well of, of the art of the possible, maybe just to broaden the minds as well. I mean, showing people the capabilities and maybe some of your colleagues in, in computer science and, and, and mathematics will have more information on this. But showing the capabilities of things like machine learning today and what that can do for the industry 
will be a huge eye-opener. So if you have colleagues or friends in, in different undergraduate degrees, do talk to them about this and see how you know the power of that technology is being applied to the to the world of words, which is law. And that is having a transformative effect today because what used to take a person, you know, analysis and, and time and energy to do can now be done quite effectively and quite at scale with machine learning. So look at the basics for sure, but also look at the art of the possible and what's, what's around the corner in terms of the technology. Yeah, I think it's very important, particularly for those who are in the system now, current students, to be looking to the job market, the legal services market, what the legal technology market is going to look like in five years to the extent that we can predict that. Artificial intelligence has been, you know, 20 years away for, for 40 or 50 years. And I think a lot of what's out there now does isn't really artificial intelligence. I mean, certainly th- these things are not they're not the sort of general intelligences that you'll see in science fiction TV yeah. shows and movies. Yeah. Um, they're actually quite limited in, in a lot of ways, and people get misunderstand what it is they can do. But at the same time, some of them are very powerful within very specific domains. Um, and I, I think it is very important um, if this is a, an avenue that you want to go down and it's a career that, that you want to pursue, that you're trying to do horizon scanning, whether it's through reading about things or hmm. by speaking to, to classmates and friends and, and whatever who might be taking these courses or following the discussion uh, within amongst different legal academics and so on about about what is actually happening. Uh, that's that's very important because that then that can give you an idea of where you might want to learn and what kind of skills and experience and exposure you might want to pick up as a student so that you can be well positioned for the career market. One thing I might mention there, actually, Matthew, is that the Society for Computers and Law, which is an educational charity based in the UK, but has a remit which includes Ireland, it has a, an Irish subgroup or subchapter. This society offers free membership to students. Um, wow. So if, if there are you know, people listening who are particularly interested in legal technology or in a career in IT law, which is you know something that we're not talking about today, but is is also a very flourishing and interesting and challenging field with a lot of opportunities, then I'd recommend that they check that out. SCL.org is the website, Society for Computers and Law. Um, And if you contact them and explain that you're an undergraduate student in third level, then they will give you a free membership during the period of time when you're a student. And then obviously later you can decide whether or not you want to continue with that. Things like that, like there are other resources, but SCL is the one that really springs to mind for me that can be a huge boon to students who are interested in in this sort of thing because you'll get a real feel for what's actually happening right now and where, more importantly, where the technology is likely to be going in the future. It's about two things. It's about, on the one hand, trying to figure out where the opportunities will be for you, and but it's also about trying to figure out what opportunities might actually be foreclosed by the time you graduate. because yeah. These things are, they have negatives and positives. Joe's right that machine learning is doing an awful lot to shorten the time that's needed for things like contract review or pre-trial discovery. But the flip side of that for someone who's students now or are about to begin their professional career is that that is work that traditionally was done by people at the early stages of their career. It's not terribly rewarding, uh, not terribly interesting, but it does pay the bills. And I have friends who were in practice who would have spent literally months going through dusty folders of documents in government departments and so on, helping with pre-trial discovery. And I don't think they enjoyed it very much, but it was it was a steady paycheck. A lot of that work is, is disappearing. 
that traditional entry level work is beginning to disappear. So graduates are going to need to think about, well, how, do, how am I a bit more nimble? How am I a bit more agile so that I'm not targeting a body of work that actually isn't going to be there when yeah. I'm looking for a job? Exactly. And I think it is that it is that last line that, you know, you need to prepare for kind of a certain change in the industry. And as you say, Ronan, it is not necessarily going to be there in the future. So imagine yourself putting forward a CV five years from now. What key skills do you want to jump out on that? Absolutely. Your core competencies need to jump out. But the, the, the hybrid skills, the ability to apply technology, to be able to use technology will give you an advantage over your peers. So knowing what that is knowing how it works and knowing how it can be brought to bear in practice will be a huge advantage. And I think this going back to the earlier point, what was traditional work in the law a while back will now no longer be there or be dramatically different um, through the introduction of technology or through the introduction of clients wanting things done differently or more effectively than in the past. And you have to prepare for that and I suppose plan for that going forward. It's interesting that you um, that you're talking about that there because I just want to stick with the whole thing of relevance. Uh, I believe it was around last February. Now, don't ask me the article where I found it, but I remember having a big discussion with someone from them that when they found out that I was actually studying law and had an interest in law, this article came up that was basically stating that technology is actually doing away with the need for lawyers. Now, I don't think you can ever technology would ever actually be able to replace kind of the critical thinking and the ability to react as such. But I mean, do you think there's any truth in the fact that, you know, is technology doing away with certain sectors of law? Could like conveyancing, for example, become irrelevant in future years? I think that certain areas, certain specific types of legal work may disappear or may change radically. I think that there is still a huge amount of the, the iceberg of demand for legal services underwater yet uh, that could actually be surfaced by this. I'm, stre- I'm stretching the analogy a little bit too far there, but you follow what I'm saying, that there's a huge issue around access to justice generally um, and access to legal services, and that a lot of people would like to use lawyers more, but they can't afford them. And if this kind of work can, these tools can allow them to access that, then that demand may actually be released. That may mean that the work that's done is not your traditional sort of the stereotypes that we have of legal practice of the solicitor with the the office on the main streets that you go into or the barrister in court. Uh, you, you know, People may be doing more hybrid careers where they're applying both detailed legal skills and training. Um, you know, They may have a full law degree, they may be professionally qualified, but uh, they also have some understanding. You know, They don't need to be technologists, they don't need to be uh, programmers, but they need to have that, that different mindset and maybe that creativity to say, okay, how do I take this and how do I repackage the skills and knowledge uh, in order to apply it in this other context? And I, but I, I also think it's important, I think, to, to say two things about whether or not this kind of legal work may disappear. Um, I think that on the one hand, there are aspects of, uh, of thinking like a lawyer, of, of doing legal work that I can't see being automated, certainly in, in my lifetime or in this century, for sure. I mean, the technology would have to get an awful lot better. We really would want general machine intelligences, which I'm not sure are ever actually, in fact, possible. You know, people talk about intelligence when they talk about computers, but computers are basically machines and not clever machines at all. I mean, machines can't be clever. They're not minds. They, they, the extent that they think, I don't like when people start using that sort of language around computers. They don't think like humans do at all. It's very, very difficult to, to see them uh, apply um, things that make some sort of sense to us as lawyers such as the concept of 
reasonableness, for example. You know, that's something that we can all have some sort of intuitive understanding of, but trying to trying to convert that into a computer program is really, really difficult. And um, so that's one thing. I think there are there's a lot of, of what lawyers do that that can't be automated. I think the other uh, aspect of it is that there will be significant portions of legal work and of the legal services market that will simply never be touched by technology. I think that you know, if, if there are people listening to this who are going, I don't want a career that involves technology, there are still lots of legal careers out there that don't involve technology. You just have to be a bit more thoughtful about how you, how you construct that career now. I'm sure that there will still be general practices uh, who use technology to a certain extent in terms of things like word processing and email and so on and so forth, but they may not be using the, the latest uh, machine learning tools for discovery or whatever. And there is a whole range of legal work, particularly in the courtroom, litigation, that sort of, that, that, that real cauldron of, of litigation, oral advocacy, and so on, where computers can help, and they might be useful as research tools in advance, and they might be useful in terms of helping you map out the likely lines of argument that might or might not develop in a courtroom. But at the end of the day, it's going to amount to someone standing on his or her two feet in front of a judge and trying to get a point across. Um, and I can't see a computer replacing that anytime soon. That's brilliant. Now, I'm just kind of getting conscious of time. So I just thought um, I would just finish with you, Ronan, and just wanted to ask um, kind of your thoughts on one quick topic before you go. Um, I suppose it's the attractiveness of hybrid degrees kind of supposed to start to build with the availability of them. Do you think the BCL days are kind of numbered in that sense? No, I don't think that's true. I think that what we've been doing in Galway and what's happening elsewhere as well actually is a hybridization of BCL and BCL type degrees, but that is tended by and large for the moment to be within the the legal field as such. So, you know, we've we've created versions of BCL with a particular focus on things like criminal justice, for example. So that gives the, the, those degrees a a specific slant, and then you have the law and business, which is a, a crossover degree. I do think it's important to, to emphasize the point I made a while ago, which is that the traditional legal career and traditional legal practice is not going to go away anytime soon. People talk about the end of lawyers. People talk about robot lawyers, robot judges. Uh, a lot of that, one of the things that one needs to bear in mind is a lot of that is marketing hype in order to sell books, in order to sell conferences, in order for people to, to build a name for themselves in the industry. And when you sit down and actually read some of this material and you sort of scratch away the hype, they're not actually predicting this, that sort of absolute transformation. The pandemic drove a lot of courts into uh, remote hearings in a way that was really very unexpected and unprecedented. It's an area that I've been following for a long, long time. Um, and it, it was something that, that you could see courts were very reluctant to take on board. And then suddenly they had to. And they did pretty well. I think some aspects of it people weren't entirely uh, happy with it. That, that could be a long discussion of itself, you know, remote courts and what works and what didn't. But what I think was interesting as well, from the perspective of our, our current discussion, is that the types of cases that went remote uh, were generally public law cases and commercial cases. And criminal work really didn't work very well online. In many instances, criminal cases were not heard online. And where they are heard online, which is more in the UK than here, lawyers have been very dissatisfied with the way in which that has worked. So I think a lot of criminal work is not going to be really fundamentally altered by technology. I think there's still an awful lot of other areas of, of work that will continue. You mentioned conveyancing, I think, a while ago. 
And I think there are aspects of conveyancing that certainly could be automated. Uh, there has been a discussion here about moving to electronic conveyancing. Uh, I think that is running into some uh, particular legal issues. And the technology itself proves complicated. That's something we haven't actually touched on in this discussion. But developing computer systems, particularly that will work in the long term and that are reliable and so on, is very difficult and very costly. But you know, there will still need to be someone who can read conveyancing documents and 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 come to a reasoned uh, judgment on them. There are still huge areas of legal work that will be transformed at the edges, but the core of it will still stay the same. So, um, I think the traditional legal degree still has a a very solid place, and that's if that's the kind of career that appeals to you, then then you should absolutely pursue that. I think what I'm saying, Joe would have a, a probably a better perspective on it as someone who who deals with people when they come out the other end of the university system and, and the, the, the training system, it really enhances your CV and your career and the, and the options that might be available to you if you, to the extent that you can now, try and, 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 and build in some of that hybridization and expose yourself to different areas and build up other skills, build up just that, that creativity and that impulse to innovation a bit as a, as a university student and not just take everything as going, well, that's the way it's been done for hundreds of years, so that's, that's perfectly fine. There is a lot of scope for that, and I do expect that third-level institutions will start to offer more hybrid degrees in the future, but I don't see them doing well with, with traditional law degrees anytime soon either. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. Thank you so much, Ronan, for um, giving your input and all that, and as always, it's a pleasure to have you back. Thank you so much, Joe. Honestly, that was absolutely brilliant, and it was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, <laughs> so I think that will probably do us for today. We're after having a great episode, and um, yeah, stay tuned for the next one. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To learn more about the NUI Galway Law Review and to stay up to date with information about workshops, guest speakers, social and career events, networking opportunities, and much more, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We'll see you next time.